15, if you will. Luke chapter 15. Um, I don't really have a title or at least a catchy title, but I want to talk to you today. You know, we're all in this room and we're not all dads and we're not all fathers. Uh, We're not even all men in this room. But um, uh, there are some things that I believe dads want you to know. To be an effective dad, to be an effective father, um, I think that there are a few things, and I want to look at three things that I think every father wants their children to know. Three things that every father wants their children to know. And I believe these three things apply to our Heavenly Father. I believe that these are three things that our Heavenly Father wants us to identify with. And here in Luke chapter 15, we see a popular story. It's called the the prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son. And beginning in verse 11, it says, And he said, A certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me, his inheritance. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, uh, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise, I will go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. We see, uh, you know, uh, as the story opens, there's a father. There's a father that uh, has possessions, and he's got two sons. And, uh, you know, uh, really, up until this point, we only hear of the one son. We hear of the younger son. We hear of the son that wanted to get his share, wanted to get uh, what was, uh, you know, a catchy word in our day and age today, entitled to him, right? Uh, he wanted to get what was entitled to to him before he was ready to receive it. And what this what this uh, child, what this son lacked, was maturity. It wasn't that it didn't belong to him. It wasn't that it wasn't his. It wasn't that he didn't have access to it. He just wasn't in a position to handle it properly. He wasn't of age where he was mature enough. This story is really about growing up. This story is really about maturity. And this is actually one of three parables that Jesus tells 
uh, uh, right here back to back. We've got the one of the lost coin, and then we've got one uh, of the lost sheep. You know, a shepherd has not has a hundred sheep. One of them runs away, and he leaves the ninety nine to go after the one sheep. And essentially, what uh, Jesus is referring to, he's actually trying to identify the Pharisees in the group that look down on those that run away, look down on those that are lost, look down, rather than having a heart to run after those that are lost and to seek those that are lost, they look down on them and they accuse them and they tell them why they can't be uh, in the kingdom. You don't follow God's law, you don't obey his commands, you don't do this and you don't. So they're all uh, 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 interested in and motivated by the other individual's external behavior. That's all that the Pharisees lived for, was to prove that I'm better than you, was to prove that I'm doing this and you're not. There was never any acceptance. There was never any love shown. There was never any reaching out and pulling them out of the mess that they were in. It was just simply identifying that you are in a mess. They're problem finders, not problem solvers. They're not pointing them to the Messiah. They don't even recognize the Messiah for themselves. So all they see is, I'm right, you're wrong. And we've all encountered individuals, if we haven't actually been that individual at some point, we've all been far from God and needed someone, somebody, to reach out a hand and say, let me show you the way. And so Jesus is, is, is telling these parables to help us recognize what a Pharisee looks like. To help us recognize that we don't need to become pharisaical in our minds and pharisaical in our attitudes as if we've accomplished something or done something that they don't have access to. No, we need to show the love of God. And we need to be Christians. And That doesn't mean we don't stand up for what's right. It doesn't mean we, we, that we're compromising what we believe. That doesn't mean we don't speak the truth. It means we speak the truth in love. You can't have one without the other. The world thinks you can. The world wants you to. Because truth without love isn't truth anymore. And love without truth, you're not helping anybody. So we've got to have both. And so Jesus is identifying, uh, uh, essentially, that these Pharisees don't even know the Father. They don't even know who the Father is. They don't even know how the Father operates. They don't even know what the Father is interested in. They don't know what the Father likes, what he dislikes. They don't know what the Father uh, 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 demands or deserves. They don't don't have a relationship with the Father. And this this is the key, because we can't reach a world for the kingdom of God if we don't even know who our Father is. The first thing, the first thing that every father wants you to know, number one, is who he is. Who he is. Not who other people think he is. Not who the pastor says he is. But you need to know for yourself who the father is. It's very difficult to have a relationship with the father that you don't know. And and, and part of this skewed image that this prodigal son has is that it begins with the fact that he doesn't know who his father is. He doesn't know who his father is 
in relationship to him. He doesn't know. He doesn't recognize the father. So he says, maybe when my father, maybe if I can go back to my father, he'll hire me as one of his servants. His relationship is, is so damaged and so skewed that he doesn't even recognize that he's still a son. He's still a son. Regardless of what you've done. Regardless of what you did. Regardless of where you've been. Regardless of what you've wasted. Regardless of, of, of what you've squandered. Regardless of the fact you ran away and now you're coming back. I'm still your father. Who is the father? The Pharisees didn't know who the father was. So they couldn't properly depict the father. And Jesus even had a debate uh, uh, with the Pharisees over in the book of John. Because all they knew was father of Abraham. All they knew was tradition. All they knew was religion. They didn't have a personal relationship with their heavenly father. They didn't know him personally. But Jesus sure did. Jesus knew him so well that he said, I and my father are what? One. We're the same. We think the same. We act the same. We respond the same. If he would do it, I would do it. If I would do it, he would do it. We, we're both, we are so tight. We are in such connection. He even prayed over in John chapter 17 before he was arrested. He said, I pray. I pray that believers all over the world, my disciples, my followers all over the world would be one just as you and I are one. We're tight. We're close. He knew who his father was. How are you going to fulfill the will of the father if you don't know who he is? How are you going to fulfill? There was an opportunity uh, where Jesus was uh, uh, prophesying and, and talking about the, the test he was about to endure, the, the suffering he was about to take on over in Matthew chapter 16. And Peter gets in his face and says, no, 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 may it never be. May this not, I will go, to, I will go before you, I will fight for you. And what does Jesus tell him? He says, get behind me. Satan. And in essence, Jesus says this. You are not interested in God's things. You're interested in man's things. We won't be interested in what the Father is interested in if we don't know him. If we don't know him. If you want to know his will, get to know him. Know who your father is. If you want to know what he wants you to do, then you got to get to know the Father. Know who He is. Get to know your Father. Your he- Make it personal. Over in Matthew chapter 6, over in Matthew chapter 6, and uh, Jesus is teaching His disciples to pray. And starting with verse 5, He says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, the Pharisees. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corner of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. They're more interested in being seen by men than being heard by God. They're more interested in what people think than what God thinks. Their father thinks. Their, their, their prayer, their motivation, their intention for prayer and communicating. What, what is prayer? Talking to God, right? I mean, that, that's the little definition that we all learn as a child growing up. That, that we're just talking to God. We're just communicating. The whole point of their communication to the Father was so other people could see it. It wasn't even motivated by strengthening a relationship with the Father, getting to know Him and knowing who He is. 
But they love to pray standing in the synagogues. Verse 6. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut the door, watch this, pray to your father. he's, He's introducing prayer and he's introducing the father. The father. I believe that even our prayers would change if we started to recognize who our father is. Now, I'm I'm not here to knock how we pray. Uh, People pray all kinds of different ways. But there needs to be uh, uh, our prayer, I believe, many times, uh, it kind of reveals the depth of our relationship with our father. I mean, if you, if you start your prayer off with how much of a sinner you are and how horrible you are and how much of a failure, and, and God, you know, thank you for just giving me the time to, 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 to even talk to you, you're, you're, already, you're starting in a position that God has already redeemed you from. God has already... God has brought you into communion with him. He's brought you into unity with him. He has, he has brought you back into relationship with He's your father. You shouldn't go before our father with our head held low. Pick your head up. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Lift your head. He sacrificed the, the greatest. He paid the greatest price for you. Go in there boldly. Chest out, head up. Now, I don't mean arrogantly. And I don't mean uh, irreverently. Like, yo, bro, what's up? Let's have a, let's talk. That's not what I mean. There's a balance. But you can approach someone knowing you're standing with them and still honor through reverence your position with them. But I, I, I've, I've heard it from people. You, I mean, you, 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 you start off, your, your position uh, with your father is that you're just even thankful he gives you the time of day. What kind of father-son relationship is that? No. He wants to talk to you. He wants to talk to you more than you probably want to talk to him. He can't wait to talk to you. He loves you so much. That's the father we have. That's the father we serve. That's the father that has paid the price for us. How many times does a natural example ruin uh, our our spiritual results? But I want you today, I don't don't know what kind of father you've had. I I don't know what kind of father relationship that you, you had growing up, if he was there, if he wasn't, if he made every sacrifice for you, or if he could care less that you were even there. Some of you may have even be in this room today and grew up without a father. That's becoming the trend today, fatherless home. Thank God we have a father to the fatherless. Amen? And thank God for the individuals that have stepped up and have become fathers to the fatherless have become fathers and have taken young men and young women under their, under their wing and said, if no one else will do it, I'll do it. I'll, I'll show them. I'll be the example. I'll set them straight. I'll speak into their life. I'll give them opportunity. Being a children's pastor uh, down in Florida was one of the, the greatest 
um, um, blessings in my life. And there was a young boy there, Jesse, young Jesse, nine years old, didn't have a dad. And, man, we had, we had ice cream parties. I'd go pick him up. We went and played putt-putt. He loved golf. We took him out to the TPC one year, and we got Phil Mickelson's autograph. And I didn't even get it. He got it. I don't got nothing to show for it. But he was right there, I promise. I was standing right there. I told him, I said, you're going to have to go buy a hat. And I went and I went to the gift shop, and I bought him a different hat. Because I said, you can't wear that hat anymore, dude. Yeah. That's got Phil Mickelson's autograph on it. You gotta, you, you gotta, we gotta go, and we took it out to the car, put it away. I said, we ain't sweating in that thing today. No, nope. that's what my dad did to me. My dad took me to, to, to baseball games. One of the first autographs uh, that I got as a kid, uh, y'all won't know him, maybe Chuck will know him, uh, uh, a, a picture for the Texas Rangers at the time, Jeff Russell, had this big old thick mustache, and he, he played for all kinds of people, but that was one of the first autographs. And when I got that hat signed, he made me take it back out to the car. He said, you can't wear it anymore. He was so upset with me when I got a baseball signed. And like a week later, I was playing with it out in the yard. Anybody seen the sandlot? You hit the ball that's signed by Babe Ruth over the fence. Yeah, that was me. I didn't learn my lesson. I don't remember who signed it, but it was over the fence. It was gone. I didn't understand the value of autographs at six years old. So I told Jesse, I said, I said, you, you, we got to go get you a different. And I took him to the gift shop and bought him a different hat. I was, I was a dad in his life. I was a dad in his life. I wasn't but 25, 26 years old. Furthest thing from my mind was being a dad at that point. We took him and I hung out with him. Why? Because somebody's going to step up. God knows how to get people in the right place. God knows how to do it. And there are several of you in this room that are doing it. And I'm proud of you. And I'm honored to know you. But we got to know who he is. What an awesome opportunity we have to show people who their father is. You realize that's probably one of the most uh, uh, uh misunderstood principles in our world today, even in church, who our father is. And it messed this prodigal son up. Even when he came to, look, this guy is ready to repent. This guy is ready to repent. This guy is ready to say, look, I'll go back to my father's house. But if they have a wrong impression, when they get back to God's house, they will still live below what God has for them. It's up to us to represent our father well. It's up to us. I was at a conference just just recently. And this young man got up. It was in Atlanta, Georgia. Large church, probably 15, 20,000 member church. I don't know. Large church. And uh, this this young man got up. He was speaking. The, the conference was for pastors. There's probably 200 pastors in this room. And uh, one of the pastors on staff at this church got up and uh, he began to talk about how the church can help heal and, and address the, the sexual identity crisis that we have in our culture today, in our world today. 
and he said, you know, him and his wife, they've, they've done extensive work, and they've, 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 they've gotten deep with particularly the homosexual community. And, you know, he made a few statements that were really profound that really helped open our eyes as, as leaders and as pastors to what we can do. What we can do. And he told this story. He said, you know, I have a, I have a six-year-old daughter. And let's say one day I come home and, and, and she's gone. She's run away. And I don't know where she is. I mean, I've, I've provided everything for her. Everything she needs is in our house. And, and she's not even, you know, old enough. She, she needs me. She needs uh, me as her dad. She needs this unit. She needs this home. She needs everything that I'm providing. But she's run away. She's abandoned. She's neglected. Much like this prodigal son. And he said, so, you know, I start putting up signs. And I'm starting to let people know, look, my, my daughter's run away. I, uh, please, you know, if, if, if you see her, let her know. I'm looking for her. And so say it that I have this one friend. And he, you know, we're we an acquaintance. You know, we, we know each other. And say that he sees her standing on the, on the corner somewhere. And he goes up to her. And he says, Stephanie, your dad is so upset with you. You need to go home right now. He is so mad at you. You've blown it. You missed it. You need to, you need to go home right now. Don't 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 even don't don't ask any questions. You just you just need to go home, and you need to get it right. You need to change. You're 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 living horrible. What is this? You're, what are you doing out here? He said, "Me as a dad. How how would you feel as a dad if you knew someone talked to the someone that you're reaching you're reaching out to, someone you're trying to get to, someone that you just long to have them back in relationship with you, and then you have someone that claims to know you and claims to have a relationship and claims to to know your intents and your motives, and then that is the that's the representation that they deliver to your daughter." And then he said, "Say I had." This other friend knows me real well. He doesn't just say he knows me, but he knows me. He, and he knows how badly I want my daughter back. He knows how badly I want her to come home. And he sees her and he says, look, your dad, he loves you so much. Just come home. Don't, don't even worry about the consequences. You just need to go. He's got so much for you. He's got such a great purpose for you. And, man, don't, just don't even worry about everything you've done. Don't even worry about how bad it's been. Just, just It's going to get so much better if you just go home. What is the father we're representing to a lost world that wants to have them back so bad? And are we pushing them further away from the father that we claim to know? God is love. But yet our conversation is more fixated on their behavior than what God has done to redeem them from that behavior. What the world knows about God, our Father, is up to the church. 
He's sending us out to run down the lost. The ones that the Pharisees said, don't even bother with them. Stone them. Put them out. Accuse them. Make a mockery of them. They have no access. And God is saying, get out of the way so I can touch my kids. Get out of the way so I can be with my kids once again. You are a hindrance to the kingdom of God. You are not helping advance it. No, we've got a a great responsibility to show people who their father is. Secondly, and this is a huge one. Number one, we got to know who our father is. Every father wants their child to know who he is. Secondly, every father wants their child to know who they are in relationship to the father. What good does it do me if I know God is love? And what good does it do me if, 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 if I know that God has everything for me and wants to be with me if I don't ever see myself the way he sees me? We have a responsibility as children to learn our new identity, to, to identify with Jesus, the Son of God. Right? This is who we are now. This is who we are in Christ. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For he made him, that's Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the what? Righteousness of God. Look at these two words. In him. Who's him? Jesus. In him. In him. Why is that important? Because your life is now hidden With Jesus, that means when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. He sees Jesus. He sees his son. He sees the one and only son, the one and only begotten son in whom he's well pleased. He doesn't see your old mess. He doesn't see your old lifestyle. He doesn't see all the junk that you bring in with you. He sees Jesus. That son... That prodigal son eating, uh, 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 living way below what the father wanted. He said, if I can just at least be a servant. And the father said, no, 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 you're not a servant. You're born into this thing. I've got blood. We've got, we share blood. There's a bloodline here. You're not just merely going to be a servant in this house. You are, we are killing the fatted calf. We're putting jewelry on your hands. We're putting the best robe we can find on your back. Why? Because you're a son. The son has come home. He said, my son was lost, but is found. He was blind, but can see. There's a party waiting for every person that has wandered away when they come back home. Not to just simply be a slave and a servant, but to become a son. We got to help people recognize how their father sees them now. How many believers are living in the kingdom and they're they're going to church, but they don't believe they have any access. They don't believe that they're any better than anybody else. Waiting for God to strike them down. No, I need to know who my father is, but I also need to know how he sees me. How he sees me. 
And he doesn't see all the junk that I see. A truly repentant heart, a heart that has said, I want to turn away from everything. Now, you got to be repentant. Repentant means changing in your mind, changing your thinking. Growing up and maturing, that's a process. I was listening to a, a, a pastor last night, and uh, uh, he's probably in his 70s, and uh, I was at the Kingdom Institute graduation down in San Augustine, Florida. He was the commencement speaker. He's from Apopka, Florida, just north of Orlando, and he was ministering, and he, he gave his testimony. He said, I got, uh, I got saved at this crusade. I can't remember who was ministering, and, and, you know, he's lost. He was a hippie. This was back in the 70s, he said, and, uh, you know, he was lost, living for the world, and just happened to be at, his, at this crusade. And, uh, you know, the, the minister just preached it so real. He's like, man, I got to have that. And so he got born again that night. He, he, he did it. He prayed the prayer. And he said, and I went home and I celebrated by rolling a joint. <laughs> Why? Because, because maturing is a process, right? We got to get rid of the thinking. We got to change our minds. About, you know, it's not instantly that these things are left behind. But he began to grow up, and he got in a good church, and he got around the Word. And he ended up going out uh, to, to Rama, and now he's a, a, a minister. He's been ministering for 40-plus years. What did he have to do? He had to learn not just who his father is, but how his father sees him. How his father sees him. I May mean, I think back again to, to Jesse. Jesse had people that just wanted to talk about his past. Jesse had people in his life that just wanted to tell him how big of a screw-up he was. He's only nine years old. How much could you have screwed up at nine? A failure. You haven't even gotten started yet, and you already feel like a failure. But, man, I took him, and all I talked about was his future. That's all I talked about. Here's what you got going for you. Here's where you're headed. Here's what high school is going to be. Here, here's how I can help you here. Here's the weekend. And what am I? I'm setting them up. That we're getting rid. None of this stuff is going to derail you. I'm going to bring you under my wing. And by the time we're done, and, 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 and after six months of hanging out with me, you're going to have such a bright future. You feel like you can do anything in your life. And that's the same way God is. When you come back to God, God is not interested in your past. He's interested in removing the past so we can move on to the future. The past is there to show me how faithful my God is. The, the, the past is there to show me that, man, I was entrenched in this stuff, but look at what he did for me. And look at the plan he has, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Good, not for evil. Do you know what your father has for you? Do you know what your father wants for you? Do you know how your father sees you? You're in right standing in this. You're a new creation, he says. New cre- that means something that's never existed before. That's what that word means. We don't mean new like you took uh, your, your, your car to the body shop and got some. I mean, he bought you a whole new car. You've never had this before. Brand new. This is the new life. It's clean slate. And this is what Jesus is trying to, to depict through this story. 
This prodigal son needed to first learn who his father is, but secondly, he needed to learn how his father saw him. I don't see you as just a mere servant, just a, 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 a means to an end, just to get by and get things done for me. No, you are in my house. You're my blood. You share the things that I have. See, we will never reveal to the world how God sees us until we learn how God sees us first. I can't reveal a greater God than I know. I can't, I can't depict or represent my Heavenly Father properly if I don't know who He is and I don't know how He sees me. No, I'm I'm new creation. I'm a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, all things have become new. All things. He goes on in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. And verse 22. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Number one, we've got to know who our father is. Number two, we've got to know who we are in relationship to our father. But number three. Every father wants their child to know what resources are available to them. That he has the best for them. He's got the best for you. I want Camden to have no doubt what's available to him. And what I'll do to get him where I believe he needs to be. The sacrifices that I'll make. He'll, he'll, he will have no doubt growing up. The resources that are available at his disposal. See, God wants you to know what's available to you. Now. Not waiting for you one day when we, we pass on from this life and all finally get to eternity and walk on streets of gold. No, it's now. Healing's available now. Provision's available now. Love is available now. Compassion is available now. Security is available now. Peace is available now. Joy is available now. I will do whatever it takes to show you what I have available to you. I will do whatever it takes to get whatever I can that's at my disposal to you. This is what every father wants their child to know. You don't want your child in the dark. You want them to know what the inheritance is. You want God wants us. Look at look at Ephesians. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. God wants you to know this book right here is so chock full of the resources that are available to you as sons and daughters of the king. 
He has so much. But what good is it to know that my God has it all if I don't have access to any of it? What good does it help if I know that my God's got stuff stored up and he, he'll give it to me whenever he feels like it or at will or, or, or things that uh, once happened in the Bible aren't happening anymore. Miracles aren't for today. Uh, signs and wonders aren't for today. Uh, God wants us down and out in a base so we learn to trust. That's not the God I serve. He has these resources available to me. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, has blessed, has blessed, past tense. Not going to one day, if, if you're good enough, if you do enough, has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Where? In heavenly places. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined, predestined us to what? Adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the what? His good pleasure. He is pleased. He's pleased. He's pleased. It pleases God to make all this available. You know how much pleasure I get to make things available to Camden? You know how much it pleases me to get him things that he wants? You know how much it pleases me to bless him and to see him blessed, to see him taken care of? How much greater pleasure does our Heavenly Father get when we're living our best, when we're living the best that he has for us. Not below standard, not subpar, not even status quo, not even just at the level. He goes on to say a couple chapters later that he wants to do immeasurably more beyond what what? You can ask or think. That's the God I serve. Not only does he have access to everything because he created everything, but he's trying to get it to us. To the pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Luke chapter 12, Luke chapter 12. Chase, if you would come, Luke chapter 12. Verse 32. It's a simple message today. But this is what your father wants you to know. This is what your father wants you to know. Do not fear, little flock. For it is your who? Father. Father. The father. It's the father's good pleasure. Give you the kingdom. There's nothing your father will withholding from you. I don't care what pastors have told you before. I don't care what other Christians, other believers have said. I don't care what you've experienced. It pleases the father to see you blessed. It pleases the father to see you have more than enough pleases the Father to see you so blessed and so overflowing that you have to give it away to others. 
He's pleased by it. Not only does he want it for you, he wants it for himself. He wants it for himself. For his pleasure. For his will. This is how he ordained it to be. This is how he predestined it from the very beginning to be. Before we ever messed up, he already made a plan to get us out and to get us back. But the Father wants you to know today who he is. The Father wants you to know today who you are in relationship to the Father. And the Father wants you to know today what he's made available to you. Don't sell yourself short. You serve a great and mighty God. He's king. He's creator. He's Lord. He's the almighty God. He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. But he's also your father. And you think he didn't have to take that title on. He could have been just as satisfied with Lord or creator or king. But he went ahead and threw that in there and says, I want to be your father too. I want to have that close, personal relationship. Father, I thank you today. I thank you today. You are the Father, the ultimate Father, the greatest Father we could ever have. You love us so much. You love us so much. You don't see us as sorry sinners. You don't see us as measly servants to simply get a job done. No, you have brought us in your household, in your home, personal relationship. You are the Father. We also know that we are your sons and your daughters. We're in your family. We're so thankful that you brought us in. May we never forget. May we always honor the sacrifice that was made that we could be in the Father's house again. Father, we thank you for every resource. We thank you for every blessing. We thank you for all that you have made available to us as your children. We don't have to come in begging for it. We don't have to come in uh, 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 hoping and wishing that you'll do it. Uh, we, we, we can pray with boldness and with authority. We can even demand that the blessings of the house come upon us because you have made them available to us. You've made us, you, you've made the best available. You're not just giving us your leftovers. You're not taking care of yourself and then just hoping that we can get along. You have made everything available to us. It's at our disposal. Whatever you need this morning, it's at your disposal. The Father has made it available to you. It's yours. It's yours. Your inheritance. Your inheritance. It belongs to you. It belongs to you. Come on, that healing belongs to you today. That joy belongs to you today. You haven't laughed in months, but that joy belongs to you today. That peace 
peace of God that passes understanding. It belongs to you today. You don't have to walk in anxiety anymore. You don't have to be worried and concerned about what tomorrow holds. He's given you peace. The Father's given you peace today. Father, we thank you. We thank you. You are our Father. We love you. We love you. We honor you today in